Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Do you recognize this particular national anthem? If you think you do, you may be right or you may be wrong. Or maybe it's the kind of national anthem that doubles as the national anthem of a couple of different countries. You know, as we talk about nation states uh, in the volatile world of foreign affairs, it's not exactly clear what makes a country a country. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke with a fellow who uh, said that he was an elected official in the People's Republic in Donetsk. Now, if you ask the American government or the Ukrainian government or the Russian government, they all say that there is no country of Donetsk, uh, that it's just a part of the country of Ukraine. Well, there's a whole lot of countries out there that believe their countries and yet have had a difficult time getting some international recognition on that front. Now, one of those countries is Malaysia. Now, if you haven't heard of the Republic of Malaysia, uh, then you might be thinking, well, maybe you don't know your geography of Eastern Europe that well, or maybe you're thinking, oh, it's not in Eastern Europe, but maybe it's in Africa somewhere. Uh, if you're thinking, well, maybe it's not in Africa, but it's certainly got to be somewhere in Asia. No, uh, the Republic of Malaysia is right here in North America. No, not on the far-flung reaches of Central America somewhere between a couple of banana republics. It is entirely surrounded by the United States. Specifically, it is within the, the state of Nevada. Now, how did the country of Malaysia come to be? Is it actually a country? And... What's the story here? Is this serious? Those are a few of the questions that we are going to ask to the founder and president of the Republic of Malaysia, Kevin Baugh, the, uh, His Excellency Grand Admiral Dr. Kevin Baugh, to be precise. Mr. President, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here. All right. So uh, I guess the the obvious place to begin is uh, you were the founder of uh, the Republic of uh, of Malaysia. It's been a country for uh, at least a couple of decades now. Why start your own country? What was your motivation in uh, trying to start your own country? Well, actually, you know, Malaysia has been around for 45 years. Uh, it was originally founded uh, in uh, 1977, on 26 May 1977. Uh, it was called back then. It was called the Grand Republic of Wolfstein. And uh, my friend James and I, we watched this old movie by Peter, Sellers, uh, Peter starring Peter Sellers, uh, called The Mouse That Roared. And we were really struck with the imagination and creativity of that movie. And so we decided to start our own nation. Uh, he was the king, and I was the prime minister, and and uh, things were great. But he moved on to other activities. I stayed with the idea of having my own nation. And uh, when I obtained property here within northern Nevada in 1998, changed the name to the Republic of Malaysia, and uh, we've been going strong in this location ever since. So the, the country was not always geographically where it is now within Nevada? That's correct, yes. So it's kind of nomadic, if you will, uh, probably for the first couple of decades or so. Uh, and also at the same time, sort of uh, gathering ideas uh, as I traveled around the world um, about what makes a country. And uh, so we were. To, I was able to incorporate that as I as I built Malaysia, especially once we, uh, you know, gained territory here, make it sort of a real place, for lack of a better phrase. And uh, yeah, that's uh, kind of what we're doing. Uh, just sort of an exploration of the idea of what makes a country, and then uh, seeing where we can take that idea. 
I've seen the film The Mouse That Roared, and I love Peter Sellers, and it's a clever film, but many of our listeners uh, probably haven't. Explain how that film sort of motivated your interest in exploring the idea of what they call micro-nationalism and starting your own country, even though it happens to be within the borders of the United States. Absolutely. Well, A Mouse That Roared, uh, I just, to keep it short, uh, is about a tiny country in Europe that goes to war with the United States expecting to lose the war, but actually ends up winning the war because they capture the world's most powerful uh, atomic bomb. And uh, along in there, just because it's, it's just sort of a, just a clever idea, and uh, we sort of wanted to build on that idea. We drew some inspiration from that and from, as I said, uh, established countries, especially the smaller countries of Europe, places like Liechtenstein and, and uh, Monaco and so forth. So how do small countries work and, and uh, sort of went with that. And every day we're trying to come up with new ideas, new things that we can do uh, with our little nation. And, uh, and I think we've been pretty successful so far. We have a lot of fun with it. Now, uh, you did, did mention in your intro there, um, we, are, we are serious about this, um, but not like crazy serious, uh, I guess, <laughs> to, to phrase it that way. Uh, this is not like a secessionist thing, uh, but we are serious at the, about the idea. But what, what we've created here and put a lot of effort into uh, is essentially a tiny country. Uh, we do not have the resources uh, to be self-sufficient, but we uh, we are uh, we have everything else that a nation has: our own flag and laws and government and and uh, our own money and stamps. Just about everything a country has, uh, we've got here in Malaysia. When I was in, uh, I guess, maybe the fifth or sixth grade, I just declared myself to be the emperor of Antarctica. I had no uh, recognition from any world leaders. I'd never actually been to Antarctica, but I thought it would be kind of a, a fun thing to do and uh, sort of an interesting thing to have fun with. But it, you, when you say you're, you're serious but not super serious, how much of this is just, uh, is just you and the first lady who also happens to be the vice president? How much of this is just you guys having fun, and how much of this is a serious effort at at sovereignty? Uh, I would say it's about um, maybe sixty forty. Uh, I mean, we like to have fun with it. We're, we're realistic. Uh, our nation, really, the occupied portion of our nation is only one point three acres. So we know we don't have the, uh, as I said, the resources to stand on our own two feet, uh, if you will. Those are very very small. Uh, so it it helps to have some some a sense of humor, and uh, and 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 just use our creativity and see what we can do with the idea. Uh, but we do consider ourselves to be a sovereign nation. Um, I mean, it's not something we're gonna you know blow up the local government offices or something like that. Nothing crazy like that. Um, but I mean, well, we we think we have our own country, and and uh, then we have a good time with that idea taken from there. Is it legal to just start your own country, as far as you're concerned? Well, as far as we're concerned, no. I mean, I mean, yes, it is. It is legal, but I, honestly, there's really nothing in like the U.S. code or anything that says you can't start your own country. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, it, because it's a, such, such an outlandish idea that no one really ever thought to, you know, declare that illegal. Well, I think there actually was a, a post civil war law down in Texas, so it just means that Texas can't do it. Doesn't mean anybody else can't. But uh, that's, that's, about, that's about it. In spite of, by the way, in spite of what Texans think they, they now, can do. Now, uh, <laughs> I can't imagine that uh, that being the the president of a country 
as small, albeit as as rugged, as Malasia is, can pay you a full-time wage that you're able to uh, pay your, your bills with. You work, you work for a living in addition to your role as the president of Malasia? Yeah, actually, the First Lady and I am actually all adult Malasians. Uh, work out, outside the country, over the border uh, in the U.S., and uh, and that basically supports the nation. But um, our, we have a, we have what we call a tourist economy, so tourists come and visit Malasia, and uh, uh, and they spend money on some of our souvenirs and so forth like that. And, and uh, so it's kind of a that portion of Malasia is self-supporting. Um, we, the I guess things we sell online, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, go into our various activities that that you know are part of the country. Uh, by the way, uh, of course, it, all the boring, all, all the all the boring stuff is paid for by uh, you know food and stuff like that. Is paid is paid for by our our, our salaries from working outside the country. <laughs> if, if people want to buy any uh, Malassian merchandise or buy some uh, war bonds or railroad stock, they can go to your website malassia.org. That's M O L O. S-S-I-A uh, dot org. Now, um, I know you've served in the United States uh, military before. Is the is the idea of breaking away from the United States mil- uh, uh, government, albeit in a nonviolent way, uh, in a sort of a, an amicable, peaceful way, is that treasonous at all? Do you view that as a betrayal of the country that you were born in and that you still make your living in, the United States? Honestly, we don't give much thought to that. Uh, we we really don't. I mean, I guess on some level, somebody some folks might think that that it is, but uh, we just think we have our own country, and we don't really give a whole lot of that a whole lot of thought to the, you know, what are we doing? Are we breaking away? Are we are we betraying the United States or, or anything like that? We're still within the U.S. and all Malassians are, are dual Malassian U.S. citizens, so we're still citizens of the U.S. Uh, and and for the record, because this question is asked an awful lot, we uh, we do pay taxes to the U.S., but we call them foreign aid. So we give <laughs> the U.S. foreign aid every year. I mean, you've seen their roads; they can use all the help they can get. That is, we're there for we are there for them to support. Uh, that so. is that, that is certainly for sure. What is the currency <laughs> in Malasia? Our currency is called the Valora, uh, and that means valuable in our second language, Esperanto. And our uh, currency is not based on something you know worthless like gold or silver or platinum no it's based on something very valuable chocolate chip cookie dough so we're on the chocolate chip cookie dough standard here in the republic of malasia interesting wow <laughs> i mean uh, that is uh, i mean the problem with cookie dough though under uh, you know other than gold or silver is wouldn't it spoil after a time and then you freeze it oh uh, you freeze we it freeze it yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and we usually have a very very large cookie t- cookie dough repository uh, but I think we sort of worn that down over, over through the holidays, so uh, we're, we're in need of fresh. When, when folks come visit Malasia, quite often uh, they will come bearing gifts of cookie dough. How, how often? Common. How often do tourists come visit Malasia? And if someone wants to schedule a visit, uh, how can they do so? Uh, we have tours once a month, April through October. Uh, in other words, the better the warmer months of the year. And uh, and so the, and the schedule, uh, the calendar, if you will, is on the web page, the main web page. You can see uh, when it first comes up down to the right. That's uh, that's all the different tour days. And then just a matter of dropping us an email, letting us know that you're coming. I mean, that's not required, not mandatory, but it certainly is helpful. So we know how many folks to uh, expect. On well, our tours average about 40 people. 
uh, give or take. I mean, it's a small country. You don't get too many folks here. It'll get crowded. <laughs> no. Uh, no, I can uh, I can certainly imagine. Is the and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with his his Excellency Grand Admiral Doctor Kevin Baugh. He is the founder and president of the Republic of Malaysia. Is Malaysia recognized by any other countries? No, not by any established country. Now, um, g- going going back just a little bit, Malaysia is what's called a micronation, which is a tiny self declared country. Uh, unrecognized by, by other nations. Um, I mean, other micronations recognize Malaysia, and uh, we would do the same, except we have sort of an informal diplomatic policy. But established nations don't recognize micronations. Uh, I mean, if, like, for example, I don't know, the nation of the Bahamas was to recognize, uh, you know, Malaysia as, you know, carved out of the United States, that would cause a big international incident, and people would get mad, and there'd be shouting and so forth. And, and uh, so they don't want that. Uh, you know, so that would damage their economy. <laughs> so, unfortunately, we are not recognized, but we always hold out hope. Oh, I, and I, I and occasionally, imagine. we will reach out to other governments and you know send letters, which are almost always ignored. Well, what about countries <laughs> that say don't have diplomatic relations with the United States or that aren't recognized by the uh, United States? Maybe uh, something like the Republic of China, uh, aka Taiwan, for instance, or uh, even the countries that are that, that claim to be independent that are in the Donbas region in Ukraine. Uh, countries like uh, like Donetsk, for instance. Have you thought about? Um, re- pursuing diplomatic relations with any of those countries? Uh, yes, we actually uh, reached out to, there's one called, Ar- what's it called, Arkotsk, Ar- I think, and it's a breakaway of, of uh, Kazakhstan, I think, and um, they, they consider themselves to be sovereign, although they are not recognized by pretty much anybody uh, else, and we reached out to them. We really didn't get a response, um, and so, I mean, but we, we continue to try to really reach out to smaller nations, uh, you know, in the hope that that uh, maybe between a combination of us also being small and maybe you know their bureaucracy isn't quite as developed, and then we can slip on through and <laughs> get some kind of, get some kind of recognition by by default or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> but, anyway, uh, but yes, if there's an opportunity and, and I find it, hey, and I haven't heard about this uh, this this breakaway nation or something like that, we'll definitely reach out and see if we, see if we can get. And so far, even they have not responded. Which is unfortunate. It's kind of sad. Has there been a trend <laughs> towards micronationalism in recent years? And if there has been, what do you attribute that to? Um, actually, it really kicked off uh, in a kind of a bigger way, micronations did, uh, in the mid-90s, mid to late 90s, when the Internet really took off. Um, and Because that's when we sort of all discovered each other, if you will, and uh, you know that there are, there are many micronations out there. And, uh, and and that's when things really started to develop. Uh, and it's sort of been going steady ever since. I mean, micronations come and go very rapidly. Um, your average micronationalist is, is usually a teenager, teenage boy. And uh, when they get out of high school or whatever, they move on to other things, and their micronation sort of fades away, uh, if you will. But some folks, they stick with it, like we did here in Malaysia. And uh, and those, those folks are actually – uh, the other micronations are actually really good friends of Malasi. It was sort of a, sort of a small community well, of more established micronations. I, I guess I, I still keep coming back to the first question that I asked, which is, why do this? What do you gain? What does anybody gain by forming a micronation and um, and and continuing to pursue this? I mean, clearly you put a lot of effort and seemingly a lot of time into running a country, even even a small one like the Republic of Malaysia happens to be. Why do this? 
Um, Again, it's just an exploration of creativity and imagination. I want to see what I can do, and at this point, what I can do next, uh, with the idea of having my own nation. Uh, I mean, it's it's really just as simple as that. I mean, uh, other folks might do it. um, uh, Say, for example, uh, uh, the Conquer Public, which is also known as Key West, Florida, uh, is a micronation, but it's a different kind. Theirs is a marketing thing. You go down there, you buy a Conquer Public T-shirt or a flag or or their passport or something along that line, and uh, and so theirs is their their micronation exists to sell stuff. I mean, we do sell stuff, but that's not why Malafia uh, exists. No, ours is just to see what we can do with that idea of having our own country and and where we can where we can take it next. Is and, the uh, is the Republic of Mo- a complex thing? So, well, I'm sorry. Oh, what did you, what is a complex thing? Countries are complex things, and and they're uh, and and it's it's fun to explore those complexities, and and especially on our very small level with a very small population and a very small budget, it takes some imagination to see what we can do with Malaysia. Is um, is the Republic of Malaysia a democracy? Um, well, I guess in effect it is, but officially we are a dictatorship, and I and I am the dictator. And you gave me my, my fantastic long grand title there. And, uh, however, but in, in reality, we're, we're a little more democratic, at least in the, uh, I guess, the pure democracy approach. Because if we have something that we're uh, that we're that we're going to be doing here in Malawi, sort of by consensus, as opposed to be saying we will do it, that kind of thing. But we don't have elections though, uh, primarily because nobody really wants the job of president. It's, it's kind of neat. <laughs> I, I can imagine. Now you um, a lot of work running your own country. <laughs> you, you have uh, tr- done some uh, version of the Olympics for micro nations, haven't you? Yeah, it's been a long time now. I was way back in uh, in two thousand at the same time as the Sydney Games, and uh, we did. Uh, so that's been quite a long time. Uh, but uh, we did do that, and that was reasonable. That was pretty successful. Uh, it was kind of a. Uh, you know, interesting trying to coordinate because micronations, of course, are scattered all over the world, different time zones, and they can't meet in one spot uh, like the actual Olympics do um, because they don't have that kind of, you know, those kind of resources to fly across the world. But we do have something similar, although it's not really Olympics, but every couple of years, there's a thing called Microcon where micronationalists gather uh, together in sort of a micronational convention. It's not like an organization. It's sort of a meetup, if you will, and uh, we have that every couple of years. We're going to have one this summer, uh, in this August, in Las Vegas. Oh, and that, uh, we all, different micronations get together and, you know, exchange ideas and, and just sort of meet up and see what everybody's, uh, what everybody's doing with their country. How many countries participate in, in something like Microcon? Oh, my goodness. Mike, I think this last one, we probably had 40, I think, probably maybe more. I don't remember because the last one was actually in uh, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and uh, that was in 2019, I think. And uh, I want to say we probably had about 40 micronations because there were well over 100 people there. Um, because each micronation will usually, you know, have more than one one representative, uh, or if they're younger micronationalists, that's one representative plus mom and dad. But uh-huh. anyway. <laughs> what advice would you give to people listening to us right now and are thinking? of starting their own micronation after hearing you and maybe being inspired by you. Any advice on getting started as a micronationalist? And do you think everybody should maybe start their own micronation? 
Oh, yes, I do actually think everybody should start their own micronation, 100%. Uh, I mean, if you, it's a different kind of exercise of, of creativity. Uh, on one level, and I hate this term, but on one level, you could almost call it a hobby, uh, if you will. But, um, but I, I, the advice I would give is, is you know, learn a little bit about how countries work and, um, and then use your imagination and see what you can do with that, with that baseline. Um, I mean, there are some standard things that all countries have, and you know, need your own flag, obviously, and a name and a government and so forth. But uh, but there are def- definitely variations on what you can do with that idea. So, uh, yeah, learn a little bit about how countries work, and then just put that into uh, into practice and see where you can go with your country. You know, it's uh, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Kevin Baugh. He is the founder and president of the Republic of Malasia. You can uh, check out their website and check out their online store by going to malasia.org. That's uh, M-O-L-O-S-S-I-A.org. When I when I called you to set up this interview, I spoke briefly to your wife, and she introduced herself as the first lady of the uh, of the Republic of Malaysia. I uh, you know my wife doesn't go along with any of my uh, my uh, I'll, I'll call I'll use the term loosely in schemes. How do you get your wife to buy into this kind of a thing? Well, she bought into it from the very very beginning. She knew what she was getting into uh, when uh, when we got together. Uh, I think 12 years ago, and uh, 13 years ago, almost 13 years ago, and uh, and so she she knew she was going to get involved with this guy who has his own country, and she was quite okay with that. The way she puts it is, you know, she asked if she could wear a tiara, and I said, well, it's not really a first lady thing, but sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> why does Malasia have three official languages? Uh, well, um, obviously, English is our main language. Uh, Esperanto is our second language. It's a constructed language, sort of uh, designed to be a bridge between uh, peoples. If you don't speak the same languages, instead of you having to learn English and me having to learn French, then we can sort of meet in the middle with Esperanto. Uh, it's a very simple language to learn, very easy. And then uh, we are in the uh, in the Southwest, and Spanish is very common here. And so that is uh, that's our third language, uh, which I'm slowly but surely learning. And, uh, and so, so we, that's why we have the three languages. They're all basically part of our culture. I played the national anthem to begin this segment. It, the, the tune of it, if not the lyrics, sounds identical to the Albanian national anthem. Did you steal the Albanian national anthem? Well, about that. I was going to tell you a little bit later on in the interview, but you got the wrong national anthem. <laughs> oh, so that's not the national anthem of Malaysia? No, that's now that's our old national anthem, and that's got to be about five, six years ago that we uh, we abandoned that one and we picked up a new national anthem. Uh, so if you go to our main main webpage, you can hear that. Um, also, YouTube, we've got a awesome YouTube thing with uh, with the lyrics and the flag flying in the background and everything. Uh, that was also stolen, but it was stolen from the nation of Zaire, which is now the uh, Republic of Congo and is no longer Zaire, so they're no longer using the Zairean national anthem. So uh, the the Albanians actually complained about us borrowing their national anthem, and I took that to heart. I didn't want to take someone else's uh, thing. So uh, since 
Zaire no longer exists. They don't need their anthem, so we borrowed that one. Um, I suppose that makes sense. You know, it is interesting, on uh, January 8th in Malasia, you celebrate a holiday in honor of Emperor Norton. Emperor Norton yes. was a fellow that, uh, that lived in San Francisco that claimed to be the emperor of the United States. He was immortalized in uh, some Mark Twain literature. Why do, mm-hmm. why do you, uh, the nation of Malasia, celebrate uh, someone who claimed to be the emperor of the United States? We really consider Emperor Norton to be uh, the first micronationalist, uh, if you will. He's really the first guy to claim he was the ruler of a country that everybody else thinks that doesn't – you're not really the ruler of the country, that kind of thing. And so uh, – and of course, being, being an eccentric and of course most micronationalists are at least a little eccentric, uh, we, like I said, consider him to be the first micronationalist. And so here in Malasia, Emperor Norton actually uh, – he uh, – he looms fairly large. He's on our money. He's on our stamps. We have a park named after him. We have a cannon named after him. We have part of our measurement system named after him. Uh, so, yes, we have our own measurement system here in Malaysia. And uh, and so, yeah, Emperor Norton, he's a big deal here. Uh, I'm sure he appreciates that. And uh, as a longtime student of Emperor Norton, uh, I certainly find it interesting as well. Uh, Mr. President, I think we're going to have to end it there. I uh, very much appreciate the time. And the next time you're on the show, I promise we will have uh, the proper national anthem to introduce you. (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you very much. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com.